over the last, you know, 15 months or so, I've had so many different conversations with different people about different topics, even some of the ones I just prayed about. Just so many different things going on in our world. And it can be hard at times to know how to make decisions on things from a biblical perspective, because not all of it is black and white. In fact, a lot of it isn't. And often a lot of it is preferential. It's preference-based stuff. And so at times it's hard to know as Christians how to discern in a world, in a culture that we live in, that is not following God, that's not making decisions that are biblical. And so it gets hard at times to know with, with any of these issues that are going on in the world, how do I make a decision that's biblical, that's loving, that helps me to lead to glorify God and bring the gospel in front of people? It's hard to know how to react, to act, to speak, because often when we say something, we post something, we don't say something. It causes us to um, be canceled, to, to start fireworks in, in conversation, and, and it leads to lots of difficulty. And so this morning, we see a very clear-cut picture of a story when discernment needs to be made to push back against the culture or push back against something when it, we're, we're asked to do something that is unbiblical. And I want us to see in this story, and I'm, I, so, so I don't say the name wrong, I'm going to use the VeggieTale terms, Rack, Shack, and Benny. So we're going with Rack, Shack, and Benny this morning. No, I'll, I'll use their real name, but that's, that's, I wanted to throw that out there. So, so we're going to do the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this morning. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do that, that story from Daniel chapter 3. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this morning. And what I want to see is just the humility uh, the teachability of these men, the, the compassion and the love, but also the firm following after truth that they know. I, I just want you to see these things in the life of these men. Uh, I just want you to say that Daniel is one of my favorite books. I, I've just really loved this story, this story and the stories that are throughout this, just the faithfulness and the, the integrity of the men that are a part of this story. I just love the story of Daniel, and I, I've taught this in the youth groups that I've been a part of over the last decade, and I just have always loved this story specifically of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So before we read the passage, the beginning of the passage this morning, I just want us to be reminded of where we're at here. So the Israelites, they are in captivity. They have been taken over by the, the Babylonians. The Babylonians are in control over them. They are basically a slave state. They are enslaved to the people of Babylon. So in this story, if you remember at the beginning in Daniel chapter 1, is the story of Daniel's faithfulness about not eating the food that was given towards I for idols. And so you remember that story where he asked the, the chief eunuch if he does not have to eat of the food that was going to be sacrificed to idols. And God blesses him, his faithfulness, by allowing him to, to grow in stature and, and to look better than even the youths that were eating of the good food that was, that was given towards idols. And so in chapter 2, you see a few years later, is that there is nobody that's able to, and again, this is a, the term that I use when I'm talking to students, so I don't have to say his long name every time, so I call him King Nebs. So it's King Nebuchadnezzar, so if you hear me saying that's what I'm talking about. So King Nebs here in the story uh, is not able, he has this weird dream and he knows it means something, but none of, the, none of the magicians, the astrologers, any of them could tell him what that dream is saying. And so Daniel comes along and Daniel is able to interpret that dream. And so what happens for Daniel in that, if you were, if you were looking in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 46, 
that he paid homage to Daniel and he appointed Daniel as, as one of the leaders for him. But he also, if you look in verse 49 of chapter 2 of Daniel, Daniel made a request. He made a request that it be pointed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be given affairs over the province of Babylon. So they would also be given leadership in a different place away from Daniel. And so that's where we are in the story. We see that Daniel has been given leadership. He's been faithful and shown integrity. But he also has led and been a leader over these three men. He has trained them. He's built them up. And now he has sent them to their different part of, of Babylon now in leadership. And so in chapter 3, we won't read the first seven verses, but in the first seven verses, King Neb sets up an image. He builds this gigantic gold image statue and he asks all the people of the kingdom, whenever the music is played, a certain type of music, everybody is to bow down to that statue. Every single person, Jewish or Babylonian, whoever it is, they must bow down. There is no choice. And one of the things that is historical that must be understood about Daniel is that King Nebs isn't just a king. He is considered the God. So if you don't listen to him, things are going to go bad for you. It's over if you don't follow his, his instructions. And so it says in verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. So that sets the stage for where we're going this morning. With, Rat, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see that there is a time where they have to make a decision. Are we going to follow what King Nebs asks us to do and save our lives? Or are we going to make the decision to follow the one and true only God and not bow down to this. So that's where we head in this story this morning, in verse 8. So if you'd follow along with me, starting in verse 8, Daniel chapter 3. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. So the narcs show up, the narcs are here. They declared it to King Nebs, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Can you hear that just dripping like, oh, king, you are supposed to be, these people are supposed to be doing this and they are not doing this. Like tattle, it's like a tattletelling right, right here in, our, in front of our eyes. Verse 11, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So they're reminding him, remember what you said. You said if they don't do this, this is what's going to happen. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image you have set up. Moving to verse 13. Then King Nebs, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. King Nebs answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So you see here in this passage that, again, it, this, it's set up here for what, what needs to happen, what's going to happen. Either Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to bow down as they are given one more opportunity to do. He's giving them grace. He's telling them, if you do this, 
I will give you grace and you, everything will be fine. Or they're going to choose to risk their lives and sit with their lives on the line and say, no, we are not going to do this. I think often of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, maybe you, some of you know of him. He was uh, a German pastor, theologian. Um, he actually was in the United States for a while when the Nazis first came into power teaching over here. He was a very well-known Christian speaker. But he also understood there was really bad things going on in his home country. And I always respect the fact that he could have lived in comfort. He had a nice life here in America when the Nazis first came into power. But he decided that he knew that his things were going wrong. His people, the Germans, were doing things that were heinous towards the Jewish people. So he went back to Germany, to his home country, got rid of all that comfort, lost all of that, and he resisted. Now, would I have necessarily done what he did in resisting by being part of assassination attempts and that kind of thing? Maybe not. But I do appreciate his willingness to say, this is wrong, this is murder, this is bad, these are things that are happening. And so I always think of that story when I, when I think of Daniel here, uh, with his, in, in Daniel chapter 3 with these three guys and how they're faced with this opportunity. They, they, could, they could find comfort again. They could be fine and be like, you know, say, I, I'm just going to do this because I want to save my life. But they knew they were prepared for this moment. They were prepared for this resistance. And that's how it is, should be for us as Christians. We should be ready for them these moments come. It's easy for us as Americans to get comfortable in, in not having to deal with this, right? We can come and freely meet here. We, we don't have to necessarily deal with what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are dealing with here. But we need to prepare ourselves because someday that might happen where we may have to take a stand like they did. Like, so we, we need to understand that it's part of what these guys did wasn't just like this flash in the pan moment that this happened. They were prepared. They were ready for this resistance because they were following God. They were strong fears of God, living in a foreign country, living in a foreign land that nobody, almost nobody believed in God. They were strong followers of him. They were regularly in worship of him, obviously. We, we see that later with Daniel in chapter 6 when he was praying three times a day. We know that these guys were worshiping and following God. They were staying in deep relationship with him. And that's how we should be as believers. We should be ready for when the resistance has to come, where we have to make a decision. Are we going to follow the gods of this world, or are we going to follow our God, which is the only real one? And so we must be prepared for the, when the resistance comes, just like these men were. They were ready to give an answer. They didn't need to have, they didn't have to think about it for a second. They knew what they were going to do. So again, you see the narcs arrived in verse 8. They're, they're trying to lay it on thick with the king, trying to tell him, hey, look, you said you were, they must do this, and if they don't do it, then this is the punishment. So they're laying on thick with him, with the king. And so what does the king do? He responds with furious rage. He's angry at these men. How dare these men not bow down to my statue? I'm the king. I'm the God. They, they must follow me. So he brings them in again, gives them another chance. But what is going to happen? What are they going to do? They're even given grace here, another chance. If you bow down, if the music plays, if, I'll give you another shot. But my favorite line is the question. So King Nebs has seen this stuff that's already happened, right? He already saw some of what happened with Daniel and his friends in chapter 1 with the food. He's seen Daniel's God be able to help him interpret that dream. But here, a few years later, he has amnesia again. He forgets. And he realizes, what does he say? What's the question? And who is this God who will deliver you out of my hands? How dare you think that anything would be able to deliver you 
out of my hands, you know? And so again, he's, he has that pride. He thinks he is God. He doesn't believe that anybody could possibly do anything to him. And so this, this story tells us this morning, it reminds us that inevitably in this life, we are going to face struggle. We are going to face rejection because this world is not of God. This world is not following after God. So we are going to face these times. Maybe it's uh, in a smaller way. Maybe it's in littler things that are going to happen in our lives. Maybe it's some of the things that may be taught in the schools. Maybe it might be um, the continuation of abortion in our culture. There may be smaller things that we have to push back against. But it's also possible in the future of this world that we may have to stand up for Christ in this way. Maybe down the road in 20, 30, 40 years, I don't know, that we may have to be able to take a stand, have that courageous discernment, being willing to say, I will stand for Christ above all things. I don't care if it costs me my life. I don't care what kind of suffering. And I, I want us to think about the world around us. There's a lot of countries in this world that face this in a way more, way more difficult way than we do. There are people across this world that are dying for their faith, that are being persecuted, they're being thrown in jail because they are worshiping God or they're sharing about God. And so we need to pray for those people, that they would have the courage to stand up like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego does, does in this story. So in the future, you may lose status, you may lose jobs, you, there may be play, play, people in this world that are missionaries or people that are living in other countries that may lose their lives for staying resolute for Christ. So when we resist, when we have the opportunity to do that, let us stand for Christ because we were ready for it, because we have that deep-rooted relationship with Jesus that leads us to stand with him alone above all things. Let us stay resolute in Christ. And when we do have a chance to resist, let us do it with humility, respect, and compassion that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us here in this next section. Starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O King Nebs, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Does that sound a little harsh? Maybe a little disrespectful? I, I actually remember thinking back to one of the first times I read this, that that's what kind of what it felt like to me. But if I, as I've read it more and I've thought about it more, I really don't think that they're being disrespectful here. I really do believe, if you see that they, they even say, say his name, they, they, are, they are honestly being respectful to the king. But they are saying, we don't really need to give you an answer about this because we are going to follow our God no matter what. So no matter what we say to you, it doesn't matter. Because... In verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Isn't that just, that's so resolute. Isn't that just so strong that they are so willing, they are so ready to give an answer to the king who is like a god, that they are willing to sacrifice their lives to say, no, king, we will not do this. You can ask us to do all kinds of things and we'll, we will listen and we will follow you, but we will not bow down to your statue because your statue is just that what it is. It's just 
It's just metal. It's just wood. It's not anything more than that. It doesn't anything worth worship. The only thing we are going to worship is our God. In their answer, you see even worship, right? They're worshiping God by their answer. That we believe he could deliver us. And even if he doesn't, he is going to deliver us because we will be rescued outside of this life. And so you see here that they are worshiping him. They trust him and rely on him so much. It's unbelievable how much they rely on him and trust in God in this story. So if you were looking there in verse 16 again, and I'm going down to verse 18, but if it not be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So you see here in this passage that no matter what, they, don't, they are going to worship God, the one and true only God. They are not going to worship this. They're not going to bow down. And you see it in this, these men's demeanor. Shouldn't our faithfulness look like this? Often, right, we get angry about preference. We get angry about things that, of disagreement, and we don't treat people very well. But you see these men are respectful in the way they do it. But they also are firm. Because there are times where we need to respectfully be firm with people that this is the truth. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible says. This is how, what we're going to follow. We're not going to follow the things of this world. We're not going to follow the narrative of the world. We're going to follow God, and we're going to do it respectfully. And we're going to push back respectfully, and we need to do that. And you see how the men do this. They are both worshiping God by the way they do it, but they're also respectfully, firmly giving the truth to the king. They're glorifying God's name by these very words. They're calling the leaders of Babylon and King Nebs to follow the one and true only God by these words. And that's how our respectful, compassionate, humble pushback should be like. If we have opportunities in this life, we should do it respectfully with compassion and love that drives people towards God. Because that's what they are doing here. They are driving the leaders of Babylon towards God with their words. One of the things I think is interesting is the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Maybe some of you have heard of her name before. Rosaria was a, was a professor, a tenured professor um, in, uh, uh, I think, at one of the Ivy League schools. Um, she, was, she was a lesbian, and she was really struck, was completely about as far away from God as you could imagine. Um, and she was getting ready to write a paper that was going to be very destructive towards Christianity. Um, she was going to put it in, the, it was going to run in the newspaper, or it was going to be online so people could read it. And it was going to, she, she was getting, taking up like notes about it. She was interviewing people and doing things. Well, a church in the community heard about this and the pastor and the elders were meeting in a room and they were deciding where, whether, what they were going to do about it. The elders in the church were really strong, like we really need to answer this. We need to like firmly push back and write things and, and, and you know, say things and make sure that we defend our faith with this. And one of the things that was so, um, it's, it's just, oh, I always think about the story and I, it really is so emotional for me to think about the pastor's response. The pastor said, no, Rosaria is one of my neighbors and I want to invite her over for dinner. And she invites her over for dinner and Rosaria thinks, oh, this is a great opportunity for me. I got to get some more interview. I can find some more things out about Christians. But they don't even ask her about it. They just get to know her, talk to her. 
And after about four or five times, they do start sharing the gospel with her. And they start, she starts to realize, Rosaria, that they love me and they care for me. And this is different from what I'm used to f- feeling. And over time, she did come to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. And it's a powerful testimony in the way that the, re- the response to pushback, right? Because it could be easy for us as Christians to be like, well, look at her lifestyle. Like, she's going to write this paper to demean Christianity, we're going to push back. We're going to fight back. We're going to get angry. We're going to say things. But no. What did they do? Ken, and his, Ken, the pastor, and his wife, they invite her over, get to know her, share the gospel with her, and the Lord's work is done through the Holy Spirit in her life. And I just think that that is often how we should respond as Christians. We know, we know clearly that there are times where we are going to need to resist the culture around us, but it's the way we handle it is the way that glorifies God. Drive people towards God, not away from them by the way we respond. And I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego clearly do that here. And so you see in this passage the, the, the resolute stand for firmness and truth. Michael Rodelnik says this, this is one of the strongest statements of faith in the entirety of the Bible. It, it's, it, it's, it's kind of the idea, I think he mentioned that they trust, they trust the Lord to decide their destiny and still being faithful to him. Do you see that there? They, they, they trust in the Lord's destiny for their life and they stay, still stay faithful to him. They know what, what's the punishment. They know what it is. They know what's coming. They know what, what King Nebs is going to do when they answer this way. But they're so resolute in their faith. What a strong fame, statement of faith, more than you could ever see in Scripture anywhere. So follow along with me here in verse 19, chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, the, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So a little historical information here. The furnace was kind of like, uh, the commentators say it was kind of built like an old-fashioned milk bottle. That's kind of how it was, the, the way that it was, it was built. Uh, it was kind of built up on a high hill or a mound. You would you'd see it on that. There were openings on the top and then on the sides. Um, and then when it talks about the, the heating of the furnace seven times, I don't know, we don't know if that was literally like seven times. Usually when the Bible uses seven, it's like a, a number of perfection. So what it's probably saying is, is he literally told them to heat it up as hot as it possibly could be, which a lot of the commentators say it was maybe up to 1,800 degrees. So that's kind of hot, you know. Um, and one of the other things you see here too is the natural, uh, you know, a lot of times people, you, you watch the movies today, you see things in the world that they try to give natural explanations for everything, why this happened, like, you know, Noah's, like the flood, or, you know, when Moses parted the Red Sea, that, that, that was a natural thing, that's why it happened. Well, there is no way that you can give a natural explanation for this, right? 1,800 degrees, these men 
he, he tells some of his strong army men to go and take them, bound them, and put them in there. What happens when they go up? They're incinerated. They're gone. So obviously, there's no natural explanation for this, right? They fall in. They, there's no way that they can survive this. Nobody could because they, they, the other guys didn't. Um, and also, um, what's interesting about this is that the one that they've used for this was probably the one that they used to build the statue that started this whole thing. So they probably built that statue within this fiery furnace that they're building, that they're, they're, they're being thrown into right here was exactly where it was built. So it, that's, that's a very interesting part of the story as well. So you see there at the end of the story that those other men that were brought up, they, they were incinerated, and then those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. So that seems like it would be the end of the story, right? It's over. You know, they, those other men were, were killed, and so when they were thrown in, they, they would be over, and, and the story would be done. But God had a plan for the end of the story uh, that's different than what you would, would, would expect. So we see here that these men were great followers of God. They were ready with their defense. They were ready to put their faith on the line. Brian Chappell says, Biblical faith is not confidence in particular outcomes, it is a confidence in a sovereign God. We trust that he knows what we cannot anticipate and secures our eternity in ways beyond our fathoming. Our trust is not in the quantity or quality of our belief. Our trust in God is built on insights we possess or wishes we manufacture. The Bible does not teach us to look inward to discern what we should be trusting. Faith is not confidence in our belief, but confidence in our God. So our, our confidence is in nothing that we can do. Our confidence is 100% and fully in what God can do. And that's what we see in the story. So I asked you a question this morning. Are you prepared for discerning times when you need to push back and defend your faith in God? Are you prepared in how you're going to do it? Not just are you going to do it, but once you have decided you are, how are you going to do that? With humility, with compassion, with faithfulness, with firmness that is loving and caring. We need to learn to trust God like these three men did. We are called to engage our culture, and so when we do, we are going to have to push back sometimes because they are doing things often that are against Scripture and against our conscience as the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So my question now is, does God promise us rescue in all situations? Does God promise us rescue in all situations? I'm going to give a conditional yes to that. And before your pastor comes up and makes me step down for teaching prosperity gospel, let me give you an answer of why, I, why I'm saying that. So I, I believe that God does rescue us in all situations. It just doesn't always look the same. It doesn't always come the way we want it to and the timing that we want it to. It, it just... It just it isn't that way, right? God knows what's best for us, so our rescue doesn't always look the same. And I, I want to be careful in the way I say this, but even when God chooses for us to be taken out of this life for following Christ, missionaries and other people in other countries, there's still rescue involved in that, that you have been now taken to be in the presence of God. You're not, no longer on this earth, and certainly people will miss us, and it's not the greatest, but we do know that God has a plan to use even through our death even through our sacrifice of our lives in order to follow him. And so I, I do believe that conditionally God does rescue us. It may not always look the same. And 
may not be everybody gets rescued the same way that these three men do. So let's, let's look further in the passage. Uh, let's finish this up. Let's go in verse 24. So we're looking at verse 24. Then King Nebs was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So I'll stop there for a moment. So a couple of things to note there. So it looked like the story was over in verse 23, right? But then all of a sudden, King Nebs like stood up and was astonished, like, what's going on here? Like, there's three men that we put it that fell in there, but now there's four, and they're walking through the fiery furnace. This is a little odd, right? That would make anybody astonished. Um, and so he asked the question, and they told him and reminded him what had happened. And he says to them, but I see a fourth man unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are, they're not even hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So the fourth member that is involved here, um, there's been different conjectures over time on who this might be. It might, be, it might have been an angel, an angel of the Lord. Uh, but more people would, would say, and I think I probably would lean this way as well, is that this is a pre-incarnate um, time where Jesus is, is there. So this is a pre-incarnate. So before he's come to uh, on earth as a baby, before he comes to live on this earth, this is a pre-incarnate vision or seeing that this is actual him. It's Jesus. He's there. So Jesus is there with them in, inside of the fiery furnace. Because one of the reasons I think it could be that way is because of the way that King Nebs refers to him is like a son of the gods. I mean, that's one way you could see it. Um, and it would, be, it would make sense because there's been other pre-incarnate visions or uh, pre-incarnate times where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament if you look in other places. But it's also hard because I don't know if you know, but this is one of the, the few sections in the Old Testament where the, book, where the wording is in Aramaic. So most of the Old Testament's in Hebrew and the New Testament's in Greek. But there's a section here in Daniel 2 through 7 where it's in Aramaic. So we don't really know. When it says like the son of the gods, we don't really know what he meant because Aramaic is a little bit of a different language. But we do know that it, it's possible that it could have been a pre-incarnate Jesus or it may have just been an angel. So that's kind of where we land on that. So we see that happening. And so in verse 26, then King Nebs came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. So that's the first thing you see here that's a miracle, right? The fire had no power over them. They didn't die. They didn't get burned up. But also, not even a hair of their head was singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. So again, another sign here that there's no natural explanation for this, right? If you get thrown into a fiery furnace that's up to 1,800 degrees, you're not going to come out without any scratch, any, any, no smell of fire, no burn, any part of you. There, this, there's no natural explanation of this. This is a miracle of God that he has done um, with these three men. He has rescued these three men. So Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebs answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. So he praises them. 
But I want you to notice something here. His praise isn't like, I'm going to bow down and I'm going to follow your God now, right? He says, blessed be the God of them, right? So it's almost like this God's done some cool stuff. He's done some, really, some great miracles here, and this is obviously something that could only come from a God, but I'm just going to kind of envelop him into one of mine. Like, he's not, he's not saying, oh, I'm going to push away all that rest of the stuff and I'm just going to worship him. He, he does not do that here. He, he says, I'm going, I'm, I want to, you know, worship and say great job to this God and what he's done, but I'm, I'm not going to take him as my own. So verse 29, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So you see the, the power in that, that, that turning because what did he say before? He said, if you don't bow down to my statue, you go to the fiery furnace. But now he's saying, if you say anything bad about their God, you're going to have problems. It's going to be the end of your life. And so you see the change happening there in verse 29. And then it says in verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So he, again, has put them up higher, just like he did with Daniel in end of chapter 2. So you see here that God did, did rescue these men. And God does promise us, again, to be rescued. It just may not be the way we expect it. There are a lot of people in this world that have stood up just like these three men did and lost their life for it. They were martyrs for the faith in different ways, burned at the stake or murdered or treated terribly, put in a prison and died there. There's been all kinds of ways that Christians have died in the history of this world. And not every one of them is rescued in this way. But God does rescue. He is a, a, a rescuing God in all kinds of different ways. And one of the main ways is a, a reminder to us to the gospel, that God rescues us out of our sin. He drives us and takes us away from our sin and leads us toward the relationship with him. That relationship that's been separated has now been brought near again. So that, that's one way that is the main way that we are rescued. You see here in this passage that the miracle was done by God to save these men. There's no doubt that this was done by a miracle of God. There was no other way that this could have happened. So what can we do in our lives to live this out? Maybe we don't face it the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Maybe we don't face this type of direct where we have to stand up or lose our lives. But there are ways in our lives as Christians that we can stand up for our faith, and we need to discern when's the best time for that. There are times where we need to say something. But part of courageous discernment is, is there are some times when we need to not say something. Because it's easy for us to want to post something, to say something to someone, that causes us to not further the gospel, but sometimes hurt it. And so I want us to be reminded this morning that the fact is, the goal is for us is to bring glory to God. So sometimes that means we need to stand up, we need to say something, we need to post something, but most of the, most of the time of posting, I think it's, it's, we need to not. It's better for us to have conversations with people, to talk with people, to help them understand that we love them, that we care for them, and that we're not all about just being right. It's not all just about being right. It's about loving, caringly bringing people to the gospel. So the chief end of man is, is to bring glory to God. 
So how are you making the most of Jesus in your life? Are you building yourself up to when those moments come that you know how to discern? Is the Holy Spirit directing your life to know, so you know when is the right time to speak, when's the right, the white, right things to say, the right attitude to have? Because courageous discernment isn't always being, just being right or saying things that get even with people. It's about lovingly, caringly, humbly bringing people towards the gospel. It's going to take deep, deep prayer and fellowship with other believers. You need the people in this room because they are going to help you to discern. They're going to help you to know the right things to say. They're going to be able to hold you accountable when you're not saying the right things or posting right things. And so you need the people in this room. You need deep prayer life. You need to have a strong prayer life that leads you towards making wise decisions. Because I promise you, it doesn't talk about this here in this story, but I promise you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a strong prayer life. They were always talking to God. I know that that had to be the case because that type of discernment, that type of courage only comes out of a life that is directed towards that deep fellowship and communion with God regularly. There's often talk in our world, a lot of time in theological worlds, of the fact of in our country right now, are we living like in New Jerusalem to where we are trying to better everything so much to where we want to live in the new, like America being the New Jerusalem? Or often people will talk about the op- opposite extreme where we're living in Babylon, where we're separated, where our country is so far away that we're almost living in a foreign land, basically. And obviously there's fights all the time in the culture about, are we New Jerusalem or Babylon? I say we're a little bit of both, right? I think there's things about American culture that are great, that, that are godly and things that, that are inerrant about it that are good. But I also think there's, there's aspects of Babylon in our country, things that are directed away from God, things that we have to push back against. And so we're living in that tension, right? We're living in, in a world where both of those things are going on. And so we have to learn to live in that. We need to learn to discern in it. So that takes other believers. It takes prayer, deep communion with God. And we need to be wise in our engagement, choosing when is the best time and when, what are the best words to speak. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this morning have reminded us of what it looks like when we have to push back against the culture, when we have to fight against the world that is telling us that we need to bow down to these idols. And we say no to that because we believe that there's only one true God that we bow down to. So be wise, pray a lot, stay close to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and be humble, graceful, and loving, and even patient in the way that you deal with people in the world around us. These three men set the example for the Israelites, and they set an example for us today. Warren Wiersbe says, These three men set a strong message to their people. Jehovah is still on the throne. He has not forsaken us, and he will fulfill his promises to his people. It echoes the last verse I want to read, which is, I think, a reminder of who we need to be as believers. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me?
Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word this morning. Lord, thank you for speaking out of your word. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to help us to, to be wise and discerning in the way that we present your gospel and your word to others. Uh, Lord, we, we often fail at this. And so forgive us, Lord, when we do fail, when we are angry, when we are mean, when we take away from your gospel by the way that we respond. So Lord, just forgive us for the times that we fail with that and help us through your spirit to guide us to be better, uh, to be surrounded by other believers that really hold us accountable and encourage us in the ways that we go about this in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. So Lord, help our, uh, this church family to love each other so well that they're transparent with their struggles, that they open up to one another about uh, the opportunities they have to, to push back when things are ungodly in our, in our world around us. And Lord, help us to get on our knees. Lord, we, we need to pray more. All of us, I could say that. We, we need to pray more. We need to be in communion with, him, with you more often. So help us to do that well. Help us to desire to, to speak to you, to listen to, your, to what it is that you're calling us to do. And Lord, when these situations come up in our life, I, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be humble, to be graceful, to loving, to be patient, but also to be firm when we need to be that we believe that you are the one and true only God that we serve. We don't serve other idols. We don't serve other things, only you. And Lord, I just thank you for these three men and their faithfulness, their integrity, their willingness to stand up to the God King of Babylon in order to follow you. Help us to have that type of urgency, that type of, of integrity and faithfulness to you. Help us to, to have that strong faith that will stand up when we need to. Help us, Lord, to be prepared in our hearts and our lives and the way we live. And Lord, I thank you so much that you have given us this example on how to live out a Christian life in a world that is not living for you. Be with us in the rest of the service as we worship your name through song. And Lord, I thank you so much for this church. You have placed them here in this community in this time for a great purpose of bringing your gospel to this community and surrounding area. So continue to work through it and help it do it in a way that is glorifying to your name. Pray all these things in your great and gracious name. Amen.